Thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of Beyond Psychedelics. Today's conversation is an extra special one. We have Kimberly Jorovieski, who is a retired practitioner and nurse midwife. She's had an epic background with what she's done in her past, uh, going to schools like Columbia University, the University of Medicine and Dentistry in New Jersey. Her uh, career took an unexpected turn after she was an active duty through the U.S. Air Force, which led to uh, the development of complex regional pain syndrome. And the condition, unfortunately, had her take a step back from her career. However, Kimberly, being the warrior that she is, uh, stood back up, started moving forward. She's now on a drive to support more people getting themselves into treatment, which I'm sure, ketamine treatment, which I'm sure she will touch on. Her biggest, for us within uh, Beyond Psychedelics, wanted to share the message of the Ketamine Task Force, which is a platform right now that is leading the way in having ketamine treatments be accessible to the marketplace at large. And we're excited to explore that further on this conversation. Kimberly, thank you for being with us. I know you also wrote a couple of books, so we'd also love to hear about those throughout the conversation at some point. All right. Thank you, Sebastian. It's so great to be here and so nice to see you again as well as we met in Colorado, which was an amazing, awesome conference. That was a lot of fun. So Yeah, yeah. which is incredible. It's incredible to see the way in which the industry is growing, uh, being at Psychedelic Science, 12,000 people about and to see the way in which the marketplace is expanding. Now, you've been in it for a while now. What have you seen been the biggest shift so far? So I've actually been getting ketamine infusions since 2015. Um, I started out getting them through a research study at the hospital for special surgery, because back then nobody was doing it. And I had a lot of trouble getting access and finding a place to do it. About two years after that, there was a huge takeoff in the industry because people realized that ketamine is fantastic for chronic pain, as well as major depression, PTSD, OCD, anxiety. So as people became more and more aware of this, Kennedy Clinic started to open up all over the country to help people access it. But the biggest number one hurdle has been a lack of access due to insurance coverage, because of course it's expensive, you know? And a lot of people get angry and they're like, why do providers charge so much money? And I'm like, well, you gotta think about it. You're not just paying for ketamine. You're paying for the office space. You're paying for the staff. You're paying for the provider to have a telephone. So there's like, you know, people just see it as the ketamine itself, which is an inexpensive drug. Why, you know, why are you charging $500 for an hour infusion of a $10 drug? But you got to look at all the costs surrounding that. So that's why we've been fighting to try to get insurances to start covering ketamine. Um, unfortunately, it's been what I like to describe as a very downhill battle. <laughs> mm. So far, we have not been that successful. We we tried to get the AMA to create this CPT code. They basically laughed at us. They said, who the heck are you? Why are you doing this? Um, and that's the point where I came together with other members of our working group. And I said, I think we need to become a real organization, a 501c3, so people start taking us seriously. Um, thankfully, we had a lawyer who was amazing on the task force who's working with us, who's a incredible advocate for ketamine patients. She's actually helped a ton of veterans in San Diego to get access. And she's like, 100% can really, let's do this. Let's go ahead. So we went ahead and we incorporated, we became a 501c3. So we're like, fantastic. Now what do we need to do? <clears throat> so at that point, um, we had a couple of new doctors join us on the task force. And one of them said, well, why don't we go to Medicare and see if we can get them to make a national coverage determination? Because if Medicare makes a national coverage determination, then basically insurances can no longer say this is an experimental treatment and they have to start covering it and paying for it. So we did that and 
we took about six months to create this beautiful application to Medicare. We presented them with over 60 research studies. We were super excited. They seemed super nice to work with us and presented the application. Three weeks later, they sent us an email. We want to talk to you. I'm like, that's kind of fast. They said this was going to take six to eight months till they contact us back. So I started to get very worried. And unfortunately, I was correct that they were going to deny our application. Mm. And we do not know to this day why. We think something happened behind the scenes. We're not sure because it just doesn't make sense. They obviously didn't read the 60 studies because they kept quoting one study over and over saying that study wasn't good. They didn't even talk about any of the others. So it was very suspicious that something happened. But at that point, we regrouped again and we met with some people um, who actually helped get old drugs repatented by the FDA. We talked to them extensively. We sent them the copies of the Medicare application, um, the studies that we had submitted. And they said to us, we looked over the studies and we recognized three big holes in the current research that's out there. Number one. All the studies are very short, maybe two to three months long. Number two, they're all very small, like maybe 30 patients. And number three, the protocols are all over the place. So they said to us, if you can plug those three holes with a big research study, so basically do a long, large research study with a set protocol, then they would be willing to help us present to the FDA to get ketamine on label for major depression first, and then a second application for complex regional pain syndrome. Unfortunately, they have to be done completely separately, which is another, makes it hard and a bigger hurdle, but we're conquering it one at a time. So we've been working for about seven months with a group of 25 doctors, nurse practitioners, um, nurse anesthetists to make a fantastic protocol. Um, It's gonna have 10 loading doses instead of the traditional six to make sure we get those patients that are late responders because once whatever protocol we put into place is going to be the FDA recommended protocol, and that's the protocol insurances will cover. Mm-hmm. So that's why we, we decided to go with a 10 loading dose protocol instead of the traditional six, because a lot of providers are saying that longer loading doses captures the patients that are harder to treat. And then after they do those 10 loading doses, patients will each be treated once a month for a year, and they'll be filed through a year, which is what the FDA said they wanted, because that's what they said, you know, you guys none of the studies are longer than three months. So they said, if you could show us for a year that it keeps on working, we'd be willing to consider your application. So we are actually right now looking for a primary um, investigator. We were supposed to be working with one university. It doesn't look like it's going to work out with them just because some internal stuff going on there. They had a new head of university come and got a lot of kind of friction inside. So we are currently looking for a university to work with us um, or private investigator, just kind of depending on where the funding is coming from. We do have um, some really good avenues, hopefully, for funding. So that's looking really good. So we just need to finalize those little details. And we're super excited about it. Cool. Well, Kimberly, I got to tell you, so much acknowledgement to you, because this is a space that is growing rapidly, not fast enough. And there's so much different red tape that we need to cross through to be able to make sure most people get to it. And I understand your, your mission. Your mission is to get more people to go through treatment. And there's obviously going to need to be a lot of different uh, uh, data that needs to be collected. So I acknowledge your commitment to get these trials and these tests and this research done to make sure that we get more people through. This is really exciting for us because a lot of the people that listen in on the podcast are between providers to consumers. And so we have everybody, everyone from a 
business context that is either looking to get into ketamine or already has a ketamine clinic. And then we also have the consumer that is also on the other end and looking to explore ketamine for themselves. So let's let's start first with um, the consumer end, the person that is at home that is dealing with, let's say, depression or maybe pain or maybe a combination of both. Would you be open to sharing your story as to how ketamine has supported you so far? Absolutely. I got into the Air Force at the age of 37, so I was quite old. <laughs> I was actually recruited to join. What happened was I was kind of in between life, <laughs> jobs, life changes, middle age crisis. <laughs> I didn't that. I've been there before. And I happened to see an advertisement online that said United States Air Force nurse midwives wanted. And that like blew my mind. I'm like, there's midwives in the Air Force? Who knew? So I called this recruiter and have a very long conversation with him because I had no clue that there was midwives in the Air Force. And he's like, of course, there's midwives. There's midwives in since the 1970s. We were the first place that midwives became mainstream again after for many, you know, hundreds of years ago, midwives were mainstream. Then OBGYNs kind of slipped in and took over and slowly, slowly midwifery is becoming more and more mainstream again. But at that time in the 70s is where it really became mainstream for the military. So he convinced me that I should join. And I did. He also told me I didn't need to run or do push-ups or sit-ups or anything like that. Thank God I didn't listen to him. <laughs> I would have been in big trouble because I had not, I'd never run in my entire life. So I actually trained with this fantastic group of retired Marines before I got in. Oh. They like were hardcore and they trained me. If they had not, I never would have made it through commissioned officer training. So I always say thank you to them. They really like really helped me. They were amazing. Um, and they're all now police officers. They got out, they retired from the Marines and became police officers in Florida. And they were just incredible. Got in, was going about my business, doing my thing. And it came up that I was in what's called the bucket. So the bucket means that you are potentially going to be deployed to Kuwait or Iraq at that time. Um, so I was looking to probably go to Kuwait, um, not as a nurse midwife. I would have gone over as just a regular nurse practitioner taking care of women and women's issues. Um, I was actually really excited about it and um, was hoping to be picked to get deployed. So when you're in the bucket, they have you do more trainings. And um, we were doing a training exercise where we were running around at three o'clock in the morning in a farm field because there had been a supposed nuclear attack on base. And we had to rescue patients who were injured. And they actually have real people that you have to find. So people are like on the ground, laying around in this farm field. You're running around. It's literally not a street light. So it is pitch, pitch black. And I tripped over something, who knows what, went flying, fell and caught my arm. Like I fell onto my arm. Continued running around that night, got home and was in excruciating pain. So I went the next day to the doctor to get it checked out. They did an MRI, saw like I tore some ligaments and ended up going for surgery. I woke up from surgery and my arm started to swell like a balloon. It was the most bizarre thing I had ever seen in my life. Wow. My husband was convinced that they left a gauze in my arm during surgery. I'm like, I don't think they left the gauze in. But I went back to the doctor, asked him to do an x-ray, did an x-ray, there was no gauze. And the pain was really bizarre too. It wasn't normal surgical pain. I felt like someone had lit a match against my skin and my skin was on fire. Wow. So I, I went back to the hand surgeon. He's like, I have no clue. I went, but he told me to go back to primary care and ask to see a neurologist. So I went back to primary care and that unfortunately happened to be the time where the military was experiencing a lot of budget cuts and they were, I guess they were told behind the scenes not to send people out to specialists. We hadn't been told in our department, I worked in women's health, 
but primary care was sending all the time to specialists. So they had come down really hard on them and said, you know, try to keep everything in house to save money. So my primary care doctor kept telling me, you just need physical therapy. You just need more physical therapy. Go for physical therapy. After 10 months of physical therapy, I said to him, I'm not getting better. I can't do my job. I haven't delivered a baby in months. I can barely do a pap smear because I'm doing it one handed. I'm mm. like, this is this is ridiculous. I need to go see the neurologist. So he finally said, okay, I'm going to send you to see a neurologist. He got permission. And when we asked to see a neurologist, the neurologist said, you have complex regional pain syndrome. And if you'd been here in the first couple months, we could have tried a nerve block, which actually can sometimes reverse it. But at this point, there's not much we can do for you. So then he starts giving me the whole gabapentin, Balterka, you name it. I tried it. Thank God. None of them worked for me. They all made me sick as a dog. I'm really happy to stay that I didn't end up on any of those drugs. Then we tried the Percocet, Oxycodone. Again, didn't help my pain, didn't like them, didn't want to take them. I thank God every day for that because I'm sure you mm -hmm. hear all the stories of people getting addicted yeah. to opiates and then having to come off of them and what a nightmare, especially with all the CDC changes. So um, yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I'm lucky that I didn't go through that. But unfortunately, I then had a secondary accident and literally within minutes of it, the CRPS started attacking my leg. It's kind of a crazy story. We had had a big ice storm. And when I came out the next morning to warm up my car, I went flying on the ice, literally landed under my car, took me 30 minutes to somehow climb from under the car into the car, drive to the base. To this day, I don't even know how I got there. Wow. And when I went when I went to put my foot on the floor, it was my right foot, my driving foot too. I couldn't. My foot was swollen like a balloon. The pain was unbelievable. I call my commander. I'm crying hysterically. She comes running out to see what's going on. She brings a wheelchair. She takes me immediately to x-ray. It wasn't broken. I went back to the neurologist like the next day and he's like, yeah, the CRPS is attacking your leg. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, that was the end of my midwifery career, my nurse practitioner career. At that point, the Air Force said goodbye. <laughs> Uh, luckily, I got med boarded. I got retired. So I got very, very lucky. They took care of me. Um, everyone was fantastic through the process. I was extremely lucky. But I became extremely depressed because I lost my career, which, and you know, I'm sure you know very well your career is your identity. I couldn't leave my house. I couldn't leave my bed. I couldn't put a shoe or a sock on my leg. It was incredibly painful. And I thought that was it. I thought my life was over. I basically wanted to end my life. And it just so happened a friend of mine in Florida who actually also had CRPS sent me an article about ketamine infusions being done in Germany for CRPS. So being a medical professional, you know, myself, I went down this huge rabbit hole and read everything I can get my hands on. And I'm like, okay, let's do this. Unfortunately, the program had just shut down. They weren't doing it anymore. And I was like, well, I don't know where I'm going to get it done. So I started looking, trying to find places in the U.S. where I'm going to get it done. And I found one program and they wanted $20,000 to do mm -hmm. a loading dose of infusions. And I was like, that's not happening. I wasn't working. My husband wasn't working at the time. I was like, forget about it. So about a couple months after that, that same friend sent me one of those clinicaltrial.gov websites. And um, sure enough, at the Hospital for Special Surgery in Manhattan, they were going to be doing a clinical trial for ketamine and complex regional pain syndrome. So I immediately called them. And they said, fantastic, we're going to put you on our waiting list. Six months later, they called me back and um, said, are you still interested? I'm like, yes, I'm still interested. So I had to go in four times for four different evaluations. And then they called me and said, you passed, you're a candidate, we want you to come to the study. So I, in February of 2015, got admitted to the hospital. 
spent five days inside the hospital. I knew within minutes I was getting the real ketamine, not the placebo. <laughs> you felt it right away. Felt it right away. My pain, what during the ketamine had no pain, zero pain, which was incredible. And then when they stopped the ketamine, of course, the pain does return. Like I like to say, it's not a cure, it's a treatment. Um, but I did have a 50% reduction in pain. I had a 90% improvement in my suicidality and I no longer wanted to die. Not mm. uh, Maybe even 100% at that point. Uh, my depression was better. My anxiety was better. It was unbelievable. The study went on for a year, um, actually just under a year, I think it was 10 months. And then I said, well, what am I going to do now? Like I need to continue treatment. And I actually had a good friend who I had made online um, who was getting ketamine at a program that had started at the VA in San Antonio, Texas. And to this day, they're still one of the only VAs that is doing ketamine for CRPS. Um, and I said to that friend, I said, what if we start a Facebook group to talk to other people who are getting ketamine? That way we can all help each other, find locations together, things like that. So we started this Facebook group. And thankfully, yeah, there was somebody who was able to direct me to a place in Clearwater, Florida that was doing ketamine. And to this day, they're actually one of the only ones taking insurance for ketamine because they use a different kind of coding. So they're not coding for the ketamine. They're coding for like infusion. They're coding for the time, things like that. Mm -hmm. And even though the payment is so small, he gets like $280 for an infusion. He does 10 people at once. So he doesn't mind. Like he's mm -hmm. actually a really good guy, Dr. Hannah. And he's like, I'm not in this for the money. I'm in this to help people. And also, I have a huge practice. I'm just going to, you know, he, he expanded his IV to be six people. And now he does 10 people. He built a beautiful new place to do it at. He's able financially to afford it since he's doing so many people at once. But that was like an amazing experience. That Facebook group now has over 12,000 patients in it. Pretty evenly divided between patients and um, mental health and patients for uh, pain or CRPS or other pain issues that are being treated with ketamine as well. Um, so for your consumers who are listening, if they want to join that group, ketamine infusions for better health the ketamine is hyphenated because facebook does not like mm. the word ketamine so it's k-e-t hyphen a-m-i-n-e infusions for better health so that group is um mostly for patients we do have some providers in there but providers that have their own group a separate group also hyphenated ketamine um and that's ketamine for providers only group Amazing. I'm just taking notes on this because this is incredible. I saw that you had those uh, Facebook groups well, that you created. I don't know that they're still active and growing. Congratulations on that. Thank Definitely you. for anybody listening on the consumer end, uh, join there because if you're looking to get yourself into treatment, I imagine there's stories, testimonials, yes. uh, resources that can be of support to you as you get yourself prepared to go into treatment. Absolutely. And it's a very supportive group. So people come in, they share their stories and they share what if they're having issues. And you know, we really our group is about support, so. Yeah, and then on the provider end, also you said ketamine as well. Uh, yeah, let me tell you the ex exact name of that group. I always forget it. <laughs> I don't know why. It's it, it's Keta hyphen me min right. K E T hyphen A M I N E, and that is ketamine infusions group for physicians and providers only. Amazing! 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 I love it. Now. Kimberly, with, with this, because it's obviously been a support to not just you, but you had the 60 research cases that you sent over to the insurance companies. Um, but what do you think right now would be of the most support to Ketamine Task Force and to your mission that people can jump on and support you with? So the other thing that our, our FDA contact told us is to try to get the court of public opinion on our side. So we did a lot of talking and back and forth and spoken to a lot of people. 
And we realize that there's an issue, not just with ketamine, but also with women veterans not really not being recognized and supported. So we decided to combine the two issues, and we're going to be making a six-part docu-series about the forgotten veteran, women veterans, wow. and how ketamine is saving their lives. Um, we're going to be telling the story of chronic pain patients. We're going to be telling the story of mental health patients. We're going to be talking about women veterans and homelessness and domestic violence and bringing it all together. I and mean, we're super excited about this project. Uh, so right now we're actually looking to raise $600,000 for that. Um, it's going to cost us about 100000 an episode to film. Um, we've already got our filmmaker. We're working on getting a producer. So we're actually very excited about this project. That's one way we need a lot of help. Um, you know, people who want to volunteer, uh, we're actually looking for someone to help us with bookkeeping. <laughs> I've not found a good bookkeeper yet mm. who's not going to be crazy expensive because we don't have a lot of money right now, the task force. Like, that's the big thing. That's that's always the hard thing when you're starting an organization right. um, is, is the money. So that's been uh, kind of hard. We do have a lot of amazing volunteers. Nobody on the task force gets paid. Nobody takes a dime. Every single dime goes towards helping others. And that's one thing I love about our group of um, people that work together is they're all doing it because it's a mission from their heart. Beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And again, the, the, the people that are able, especially for me, so I grew up in Colombia with an uncle that was also in the, in, in the forces. And I saw firsthand what being deployed can do coming back home, the, the not being able to fully integrate into society and the way in which he turned to alcohol as a way to cope. And now you have these different modalities that exist and these treatments that can give a massive access for people to get better. So it's again, such a beautiful uh, mission you're after. Are you familiar with any chance with the Psychedelic Access Fund? Yes, they're good friends of mine. Awesome. Okay, I was going to say to connect to Eugene because we just met, we met her as well through um, the Psychedelic Science event. And I, I love the way in which this, one of the key things that I love about the space that we're in is that there's this true, authentic and genuine collaboration mission. Yes, absolutely. Everybody's working with each other. Everyone is making sure that people are being taken care of. And I love that. A lot of people say that, but in business, you don't typically see that actually being practiced. No, you don't. You don't. I do want to mention, because you mentioned your um, your uncle, we realize that veterans can't wait. Like, it's really, they're not doing, like, a lot of veterans aren't doing well. People reach out to me every single day. I get letters, like, I can't even tell you. And unfortunately, we don't have the money to pay for people's infusions. So we've been trying to figure out how to support veterans. And the Chemin Task Force also started a... Um, a support cohort, which is a peer-to-peer support group that meets once a month over Zoom. So if there are any veterans out there listening want to reach out and join our um, cohort, welcome to. But we also decided, a few of us on the task force decided that we needed to do something else to help veterans. And we started a second organization called Healing Our Heroes Foundation. It's brand new. It's not even a month old. And that organization's goal is to raise enough money to build a retreat center in South Florida where we're going to be able to bring veterans for very inexpensive for healing retreats. Mm. My my eventual goal is to bring them on five-day healing retreats so they can get enough ketamine to basically be almost your full loading doses. It's not going to just be about the medicine. It's also going to be about being in nature. Uh, We plan to hopefully have some horses on the property, do some equine therapy, we want to also have um, farming, so we'll do like working out in the garden and things like that to really help people overcome PTSD and trauma. And we have an amazing retreat facilitator who's hopefully going to be living on the property. She's going to be living and managing the property, so we're super excited about that. And she's absolutely incredible. And we're actually looking to raise ten million dollars for that project, completely separate from the task force. So mm-hmm. this is a new new project, new organization. Meanwhile, until we build our own retreat center, we're actually working 
with other retreat centers around the country to bring out veterans to their properties. And they're giving us significant discounts. Usually a retreat costs anywhere from the cheapest I've seen is $3,500 and the most expensive $10,000. So they're pretty pricey. Our goal is to keep them under $2,000 to bring veterans. And it's not just veterans, veterans, first responders, and medical professionals out to for healing. Now, why medical professionals? This is a big question that people keep asking me. During COVID, we saw a tremendous amount of medical professionals commit suicide. It really brought to light the issues that medical professionals on the front lines see every day. I mean, I know because I was in the medical profession. You see death, you see trauma, you see people coming in with their arms, limbs cut off. You know, it's very scary and it leaves, you know, it leaves things in the brain, you know, PTSD, trauma. You know, people don't realize what your everyday medical professional can go through sometimes and what they can see. So we did decide that we were going to include medical professionals in our healing retreats as well, because I just think that's such an important group to help and bring them to heal. And a lot of them don't even realize that they have PTSD. Like, it's kind of funny. I was talking to a friend and she's like, I never thought about like, that's why I'm having all these nightmares and issues and why I can't mm. sleep. I'm like, because of what you've seen on a daily basis, you know. She's an ER doctor and she's seen some stuff. So, Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. And Kimberly, I love what you're pointing to with the retreat center because one of the things that we continuously see is there's too many people right now going through treatment without having the ongoing integration support. So they're going in, they're sitting through a session, which is all good. They're having the conversation with the nurse, psychiatrist, psychologist, and things are coming up. Obviously, things are being worked through. But once they go home, they don't have that ongoing support. And to be able to give people that support that they can really feel like they're being held, an immersive experience like a retreat where they can spend time in nature, be with professionals that can really walk them through the journey is so important. And that level of integration, I think that is one of is, is one of the key things that is in the psychedelic space, specifically with ketamine right now, since it's it's the, the first one, there's a big gap that's that's absolutely showing itself more and more. So I love the fact that you guys are um, already looking for to plug this in. Because again, I believe that the more that we're able to provide that level of long-term support, the more the data will show that it's actually supportive and really a healing modality, like it actually has a capacity to be. Absolutely, 100%. And I'm really excited to be doing this. Um, we're actually going to be having our first retreat in two weeks. Um, okay. It's actually out in, a, uh, in Hawaii on the big island because I was made aware of the fact that veterans in Hawaii especially don't have access to the things that people on the mainland have. We wanted to bring something out that we could support some of the veterans on the big, um, on the uh, in the islands that they could come to very affordably. So we actually have one or two spaces left. So if anyone wanted to contact us, but well, you'd have to be ASAP because literally two weeks from now. And we're very excited about, of course, with the whole tragedy in Maui. What happened? You know, kind of. Thankfully, it didn't affect where we're going to be located, but we actually are going to be bringing um, a suitcase full of supplies for the people on Maui: diapers, wipes. Diapers, wipes, formula. So if anyone actually wanted to reach out to me to donate towards that, um, I'm really hoping to bring a big thing with us so we can support some of those rescue efforts because it just breaks our heart what's going on out there. And we've actually offered to help a veteran who was on that island and we're hoping he's going to be able to come out to the retreat as well. Wow. Kimberly, you're, you're such an incredible human being. You're going above and beyond to bring this level of value to people. And like you mentioned before, there's, there's no... A lot of people get into anything and there's they're thinking for themselves how, what can i get in return from what, what you're sharing everything that you're up to right now has nothing to do in return for you directly you're really looking to bring value and support to people that are dealing with pain and just thank you thank you for their work because there's unfortunately not enough people that are out in the world genuinely doing the work that you're doing 
Oh, thank you. That means a lot to me. It's my heart. It's my soul. It's um, I'll share with you a uh, ketamine journey I had. So I've had some very vivid, like real journeys, amazing, um, where I've met with angels. One of my first journeys when I lost my career and I thought like, this is it. It's over. I'm done. I actually had an angel come and sit with me during my um, session. And he put his hand on his heart and then he put his hand on my heart and he says, you are the helper. That's what makes you, you. And he says, you will find a way to help again. And then he flew wow. away and he left. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. For anybody listening that's ever sat through a ketamine treatment, that is a, I don't want to say a common thing that people experience, but there's a different, you start to realize I've been through three ketamine treatments myself and I, I, I've never had that level of entity being there. And, and as you have, but I have felt I've seen, I felt my father's presence all throughout me as I was sitting through through sessions. So if anyone that's listening, don't be afraid of that. It may be different, but it's a very healing experience. There's a lot of depth that goes into, there's a lot of um, of different things that are being stuffed and suppressed and repressed. And these kind of treatments allow us to really open up and to experience the fullness of, of life. And I believe that we're spiritual beings living a physical reality. And as we step into these other realms, to these treatments, we're able to experience the fullness of it. So Absolutely. Full encouragement for anybody listening. This is a a, a ketamine is a treatment that is very new, um, in in context of how long medicine's been around for. But as you are starting to get the sense from what Kimberly's sharing, it's making a lot of difference in the marketplace in regards to helping people get better. Um, Kimberly, with the twenty five providers that you guys are currently working with for the the, the year long program, are you still looking for any sort of patients or or clinical groups that could be a support to you? So for the research study, the study is going to be done in Florida and it's going to be done on veterans. Got it. So if there are any veterans listening in Florida who are interested, don't start doing ketamine yet, okay? Because you have to have not had it before in order to participate in the study. So that's one important thing. Um, though we will consider if somebody did like, let's say, one treatment and then wasn't able to continue for some reason or other, we would consider allowing them in. So that would be handled on a case-by-case basis. But for the most part, they have to be what's called ketamine naive, meaning never having had it before, um, just because that's one of the things that the IRB was requiring of us. And they got to be in Florida. They have to be in Florida. Yes, okay. because the, our, it looks like our funding is coming from Florida. I can't say a lot about that yet, but got it. Got it. <laughs> I have to kind of keep it quiet. But um, yeah, so, and our, our, so we have seven clinics around the state, all on the east coast of Florida that will be providing ketamine. Well, actually, no, there's one in Tampa, so I guess that's the west coast. So Orlando, Tampa, Boca, um, Palm Beach Gardens, Pompano Beach, Coral Springs, and we're super excited about having these community partners with us. But if people want to reach out just to support, just to connect, we're happy to have you guys um, support and connect with us. And like I said, any veterans who are you know, looking towards treatment, we're hoping to have this up and running by March. That's our goal. But because our original university partner is not going to be working with us, it might delay us a little bit. I'm hoping it won't. Like, it's so hard because like universities take forever to do things. So that's why we're kind of looking at if maybe we can switch it over to private. But the problem is our funding might be coming from kind of a university side. So that's why mm-hmm. it's kind of up in the air right now. But I hope to actually my next meeting <laughs> might be uh, <laughs> giving us some good news about that. So we'll fingers crossed. Oh, man, I love it. I love it. Kimberly, thank you so much. For anyone that's listening, what is the best way to uh, keep in contact with you? Obviously, there's ketamine taskforce.org, which is the main website. 
Um, yes, ketamintaskforce.org, healingourheroesflorida.org for the new organization. Um, either one of those. And if you're a first responder, veteran, or medical professional interested in a retreat, um, reach out to me. I don't know yet when the second retreat will be, but it's definitely in the works. So we're in some talks with some different um, places. We're hoping to have the next one in Florida, but we may have to use someone else's retreat center until we get our own built. But our goal is to make a first class, beautiful, gorgeous place that people can come for healing. And one of the things we know that sometimes a lot of people, especially veterans who have PTSD, don't like to be like in a hotel where they're with other people. They want to be more like have kind of a private space. So one of our goals is to build like little separate cottages on the property, 15 of them. Each one will be one bedroom, one bathroom that people can have their own space to kind of decompress after each session. So that's one of the ways we want to make it unique. And we have some other ideas also. We want to have a beautiful outdoor kitchen. Property is going to be vegan, vegetarian, going to be um, that way it can be friendly for everyone of all different types of diets. So yeah, we want it to, we want it to be open for everyone. And eventually we're going to hopefully also rent it out to other organizations who might be interested in bringing their people there um, and keeping it extremely inexpensive for everybody. You know, that's like, that's our goal is to make this affordable for everyone. Mm, mm. So beautiful. I'm, I'm getting so excited hearing about everything up to Kimberly because I'm just thinking of ideas in which I can definitely be able to connect with different opportunities that I can see available to be able to help you guys. Because again, it's a powerful mission. For anybody listening, if this intrigued you in any way, if you're already looking to get into treatment, this is going to be a massive support. It already is to a lot of people. We get the affordability is not fully there for everybody just yet. But if you're looking to get involved, but throughout the journey, maybe you're looking to support directly, go to the websites mentioned above. Kimberly, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you taking time to break down your story and share with us what you've been through and how you're here to really support this, this, this space to evolve as well as the consumers. Thank you again for everything. You're very welcome, Sebastian. Thank you for letting me share and tell my story. Amazing. Thank you so much, Kim. We'll see you soon. See you soon. See you. Opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.